This podcast is brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com, the leading online publication for risk management and security professionals within the healthcare industry. This is Howard Anderson, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today we're talking about the access report provision of the proposed Accounting of Disclosures Rule. Our guests are Adam Green, a former official at the HHS Office for Civil Rights, who was involved in the drafting of the rule, and Dan Rohde of the American Health Information Management Association. Thanks to you both for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you, Howard. Adam, could you start by briefly describing what the access report provision would require? Sure. So the access report is really focused on answering a very specific question that sometimes patients have, which is exactly who has seen my information. And so it's not looking at the more general question of why have people seen my information or why has my information been shared. And so the access report would include the exact date and time of access and the name of any person accessing the record. There may be certain circumstances, such as where an outside organization has access, where a full name is not available, but the preamble suggests an expectation that for internal access, you would have the full name of an employee. It would also include a description of the information accessed, such as medications or diagnoses, if that is available. So if a particular system is able to log that, there's no expectation that systems would need to be changed to or upgraded to have this capability. And similarly, um, if a system is able to make, to record the user action, such as viewing, modifying, deleting, printing, um, then that should be included. But once again, only if that is available. So, Dan, what do you think of the basic concept of an access report? We have no problem with the basic concept. Uh, we agree with uh, Adam and, and the Office of Civil Rights that more consumers or the individual patient uh, uh, are uh, interested in who saw their record, so we believe that the individual has a right to know who has accessed their record uh, or to have their questions answered uh, related to access. Dan, AHIMA has expressed concerns about the cost and difficulty in preparing reports that list everyone who has electronically accessed a patient's information, and you've called for a pilot to determine the actual cost involved. Please briefly explain those concerns. The concern is that we're looking at access to the designated record set. So first of all, uh, outside of a small private practice that may only have one electronic uh, record system, uh, when you get to hospitals and large clinics, uh, you can have many different systems, each which is logging uh, as required by HIPAA, but not necessarily recording the information in the same way. And in many cases, uh, not covering uh, the accessors or identifying the accessors in the same way. So if a request is made uh, for all access, it means pulling together uh, the log information right now, the, the very uh, basic log information from these disparate sets, and then someone has to sit down and identify or cross-identify the individuals involved and then pull all that information together, and that's a manual system. Uh, We have not, uh, nor did HIPAA require, uh, that we 
put a composite uh, together that, that handles all those systems. And so at this point in time, it's a, an issue of both uh, coming up with common language uh, or common data that would be used in each of the disparate systems, as well as a means to then gather that uh, data, uh, analyze it, and put it into a report that the individual could read. The ability to do this just isn't there in any kind of a mid-sized to larger uh, facility to to take into account that kind of a request. We can do a much better job on a specific request because generally through role identification and others, we automatically know whether a particular individual or individuals have access to what systems and we can easily do an audit on those and this is already being done. We wanted to see a pilot because we really do need to come up with software and a language to allow for the consolidation of all these log reports into a single report and we want to see if that system then can answer the general questions of the individuals. This is an idea that came up during our meetings. Uh, we had a number of meetings with a group of, of HIM professionals, uh, and the idea came up to, you know, actually test it and see if it worked. Since there is no system out there right now, we thought it would be helpful to have the healthcare industry or community working with vendors and working with OCR put something together that everybody could agree upon would make this thing work. And then from a standpoint of, involving consumers to determine if we we're answering all of their questions. Uh, we had talked to some of the consumer groups who didn't believe that the rule as it was proposed at least really answered the questions that they thought were important to people. So we thought there needed to be a consumer perspective. We also thought it would provide a little better information than what was uh, involved uh, in the proposed rule as far as the cost, because no one has a system right now that can do this. We have no idea and did not have a good idea of how to respond to the question of what is it, would it cost to put one of these in and uh, how we would look at that cost from the standpoint of demand. Uh, you know, to, to use a simple example that, that someone raised, if there were only three people that asked for their access report, in a single year, and we had uh, spent $150,000 to make the system changes, does that mean that it's $50,000 per request? Uh, and given all the other costs going on right now, given the system's tie-ups with ICD-10 implementation, meaningful use implementation, a number of other Medicare and uh, private requirements, folks just felt that a pilot might be a better way to to make sure that we move forward on this, get a consensus as to what the rules should be and what kind of uh, system we should be building uh, as the nation moves on to a standardized electronic health record system and, and enterprise record systems, and do it that way rather than have 6,000 different hospitals and uh, hundreds of thousands of different providers each trying to come up with their own solution. Adam, what's your reaction to the concerns of AHIMA and many others about the cost and difficulties involved in preparing detailed access reports? And would you support pilots to study the issue? Well, I think the concerns are very well founded. I think, first off, that this is a proposed rule, and the, the whole point of the, doing it as a proposed rule and seeking comments is to find out you know, to what extent the rule will work 
in process. And what we've seen is certainly a large number of comments indicating it would not. I think the rule was premised on the concept that there wouldn't be significant upfront costs that entities should already be logging access to who is seeing this information and that there wouldn't be much cost upfront, but rather the costs would be related to aggregating reports from multiple systems. And there's certainly recognition recognition in the preamble that you could have dozens, and I've certainly heard even hundreds of systems that would have to be aggregated. I think what we've been hearing is that the idea that there's not cost up front was misplaced, that for a lot of entities, there will be significant costs up front, um, and then that the costs with respect to aggregating multiple systems may have been underestimated by OCR. So I think the the comments are well-founded, and I expect OCR will give them significant weight. Um, With respect to a pilot program, I think it's a great idea. I think the challenge is actually to the extent that HHS's hands are tied um, in that they have a um, date of 2013 with respect to electronic health records, not the entire designated records set, but with respect to electronic health records, to have regulations um, in effect on this point. That's based on the HITECH Act provision. So that may be, I think, one of the biggest challenges is how to address the HITECH provision with respect to EHRs in some form by 2013 while still having enough time to both gather information to improve upon the rule and give everyone the time required to come into compliance with the rule. Dan, AHIMA has questioned how many patients would actually want to obtain a list of everyone who has electronically viewed their information. So do you think it would be more practical and feasible to instead accommodate only requests to determine if specific individuals have access to record? Well, Howard, uh, again, uh, talking with the professionals out in the field, no one could come up with a situation where a request was made to uh, determine all the individuals that access a record. Normally, the request was for specific individual or individuals that were thought to have improperly uh, accessed the record. The concern about a listing of everyone that's accessed the record is, again, first of all, having to consolidate all the disparate systems that could potentially uh, fit under the requirement. And then secondly, just the massive number, uh, again, talking in a hospital perspective or a large clinic rather than in a uh, private practice, uh, just the massive number of systems and individuals that might access another system or individual during a hospital stay. And we we're aware of a couple folks that tested this that did have the ability to, to look at the numbers. They didn't consolidate the reports, but in totaling up just the number of accesses in a uh, week-and-a-half-long uh, hospital stay, there were over 2,000 pages of printout. Again, that can be made electronic, but then you start getting into, okay, then do we also uh, put them in some order? Uh, what's the correct order? And... Uh, so it, it just seemed like a lot of work for something that no one had any previous request for that kind of a report. So would you like to see the rule uh, modified to only require um, developing reports about 
specific individual's access rather than everyone's then? I would have to say that certainly the direction that we are leaning, I'm sure there could be a case made for all access, and certainly uh, we have recommended to our members that they internally be looking at their different systems and access on a periodic basis just to ensure their compliance. But at this point in time, I would say, yes, we'd like to see the requirement be made to specific individuals, recognizing that there's nothing to prohibit uh, someone asking for a larger access, uh, either under an audit process, maybe uh, developed in a court case or something of that sort, but not as uh, just a day-to-day thing that everybody can just walk in and say, I want a copy of everyone that's, that's accessed my system. We also believe that, you know, we've also got requirements associated with breach, notification, and the rest that also give rights to the patient to find out if there's been an inappropriate uh, access or release of their information. Adam, please describe why you believe providing patients with a complete list of everyone who has viewed their information would be helpful in protecting their privacy. The potential benefit, I think, would be in circumstances where the individual feels that their privacy has been violated but doesn't know by whom. And so as sort of a self-investigatory tool where seeking an entire list would potentially give them information that a neighbor um, saw their information or they were terminated from their job and they now discover that the um, wife of the human resources director works at the hospital. I think that's the potential benefit. That being said, I think that benefit may be greatly outweighed in practice from what I'm hearing um, when you look at the entire burden um, associated with trying to aggregate, put together a list such as that, and the potential consequences of providing such a list, consequences both with respect to the amount of confusion it may cause by the, to the patient when they see a list of thousands of names and feed burden to explain all that, and then also um, the issues around employee safety and other areas. So, you know, while I think there may be some benefit, I don't know that the benefit necessarily outweighs the substantial burden that covered entities are finding would be the case to provide such a list. So what do you think of this notion, Dan, uh, just mentioned about uh, changing the rule to accommodate only uh, patients' requests to determine if a specific individual has access to their record? Is that more practical and feasible? I, I think it, in light of what, industry has been saying the potential burden would be, I think it's something that the government should certainly consider as a more viable option, a better balance and benefit. I think it's something that probably OCR has heard a lot of at this point and may give some thought to. Dan, I understand some members of your association have expressed concern about sharing the names of staff members with patients. Briefly, what's the concern and how could the access reports be altered to address that concern? was that uh, individual workforce members have in the past been stalked by patients, and you could uh, look at that from both directions. Uh, A lot of it depends on the setting and and a variety of other things. But part of this concern also comes out of the idea that you would produce a massive list of every uh, workforce member that has seen the, uh, the document and 
create an issue, whereas uh, we're certainly not saying that if a person uh, has requested that we look at whether a particular individual has access to a record, we would certainly identify that individual in a report. That's a little different situation. But we just didn't believe that having a long list of every person in the workforce would be beneficial. Uh, we presumed a lot of questions, and quite frankly, most of the healthcare staff that works with an individual patient's care are not identified to the individual. You usually get to know the doctor, you get to know the nurses, uh, but you don't know all the other folks that are back in the back of the hospital working on your care that may have their name identified. So we just think uh, it's a protection for the individual employees. It does not protect them. Uh, we don't think it gives them any more reason to be looking at records that they shouldn't be looking at. But if a uh, blanket report were produced, we feel that identifying by an identifier number or something would be more appropriate, except, again, for the individuals that the, uh, the patient may have been concerned with. Adam, what's your reaction to these safety concerns about revealing the names of staff members? I share the concern. I, I have to admit um, the, there was a request for information that initially sought information back in um, May of 2010, and uh, a few commenters pointed to safety concerns, and uh, I'll admit, having been involved in the rulemaking, that the rule really doesn't address it, and I think it's been voiced much louder now, and the rule will have to address that, and I think it is a valid concern that could be eliminated by the suggestion of HIMA to um, limit this to requests for specific person's access versus providing an overall list. I've also heard the concern. I don't necessarily put it up there with the employee safety, but I think it's a valid concern of what's called social engineering, which is the idea that um, people can breach information security through trickery, in essence, and having the names of individuals who have authorized access and knowing when they access, access the information can actually be a valuable tool for and a potential vulnerability with respect to information security. So in other words, someone calls up and says, my name is John Doe, who happens to be an administrator um, or who is someone who has authorized access, and I've gotten locked out. I need you to um, provide me with access. There may be some information security vulnerability there. So I think the employee safety issue is a very valid one that it's tough to put employee safety versus patient privacy, but I think it's something that needs to be addressed, and I think it can be mitigated through a more limited access report. Okay, to wrap up then, Adam, um, do you think the Office for Civil Rights might alter the access report provision in light of the hundreds of comments received? And, and if so, how do you think to alter it? I think to the extent that the comments indicate that the access report was based on some premises that were not really accurate, I think there's a good chance that OCR will reevaluate this. Um, I've heard of organizations who previously were proponents of the idea of an access report and in essence requested the idea of an access report. And then having learned more about the practical realities um, of the current state of the industry, have gone to OCR and said, we were not entirely correct here, and th this whole approach may need to be rethought. 
So I, I think organizations like that, even recognizing the challenges here, really may make OCR proceed with caution in this area and reevaluate things. I've certainly heard a lot of talk about the idea of it being limited to a EHR or even more specifically a certified EHR, and it'll be interesting to see if they respond to that. Um, it's a tough area because, frankly, defining what constitutes an EHR um, is a challenge unless you point to certification, and I don't think anyone necessarily wants to disincentivize people from adopting certified EHR technology. So it's a tough policy challenge there, but it may make a lot of sense. And certainly a more limited access report is something, you know, such as what has been suggested is something that OCR may may consider. And Dan, why don't you summarize what you hope will happen now? Well, first of all, Howard, I want to mention something that Adam mentioned early on, and that is OCR especially is worked very closely with the community on many of these items, and so we expect that they will uh, be definitely giving good consideration to the recommendations that have come in. As I stated early on, we do believe the patient has a right to this information, and so it becomes community, I think, uh, of uh, vendors and consumers and healthcare providers and others covered by HIPAA sitting down with OCR and coming up with the best uh, way that we can look at meeting this right and need of the consumer and doing so in such a way that we can blend it into the other things that are happening with electronic health records and, quite frankly, uh, even beyond electronic health records as we talk about them in meaningful use, looking at the... uh, what we would call the enterprise record nowadays of an organization so that the individual does have knowledge of all the information on them and not just a segment of that. So we we think this is something that if OCR can, uh, and Adam's also noted the the legislative constraints that are out there, but if if this can be done, uh, we believe that it's a much better way of working this through and I suspect uh, might even be able to uh, partner with uh, consumer organizations to uh, to look to Congress if additional time is needed. Thank you both very much. We've been talking today with Adam Green, formerly of the Office for Civil Rights and now a partner in the law firm Davis Wright Tremaine, and Dan Rohde of AHIMA. This is Howard Anderson. Thanks so very much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.healthcareinfosecurity.com.